a CTV original podcast produced by Bell Media Studios. This podcast contains adult themes and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Marcy Ian. It's been over a year since I met with Julie Mulligan to talk about her 14-day abduction in Nigeria. In that time, the world has changed a lot. A mysterious virus that has infected at More least... More than 700,000 people have now died. Deadly outbreaks are sweeping through Canada's... World nursing. Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. Through the chaos, we have sought answers for Julie in an effort to give her the closure she deserves. I'm calling now to let Julie know what we found. This is Taken Abroad, Final Answers. Can you hear me now? No. Julie? I can't hear you. Maybe she has to reconnect. Julie, it's, it's Marcy, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Technology, what are we gonna do? Oh, it's just all of a sudden my earphone said powering off. It's like, oh, I made sure they were charged. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Why don't we, why don't you take a breath and I'll start from the top, okay? Okay, okay I'll start in three. Hello, Julie, it's Marcy Ian. Hi, Marcy, nice to talk to you. So good to talk to you. How are you doing? How is the family doing? I'm doing great. And all of our family is doing great. Grandkids, kids, husband, John, everyone's doing fine. Uh, I'm so, so happy to hear that. So, Julie, it's been a while, but the last time that we spoke, you asked me to do something for you. Do you remember what that is? I have always had the question of what happened to my kidnappers. If they were in jail, if they had been released, who had been captured. I've always been wondering if they're okay. Why is that so important to you? I never really found out what happened. I knew that Christian went to jail. I picked him out of a lineup, a police lineup, which I still think about to this day and how he was standing on the dirt ground in uh, his underwear, boxer shorts, with the lineup of other criminals. And I had a pang of regret in a way for identifying him because I believe that he was probably just in the wrong place, kind of at the wrong time. I don't think that the kidnapping was his gig. And um, so I've always wondered about him and Anthony and Oyo especially. I've been concerned about them, if they've ever continued on with their lives, if, if even the circumstance and the experience of my kidnapping taught them anything. I would love to think, I love to think that it taught them a lesson that humanity is at all levels and that they were treated with respect from someone that they were capturing. So I wonder how they are doing and where all of the pieces fit, how the, if there was other people who were involved, which I'm pretty sure that there were um, up above that hired these people, I wanted to know if anything has happened with them for justice. Does forgiveness factor in? I don't think that forgiveness was ever really absent. When the light came the first morning when we were sitting outside on that dirt ground, I looked at those young men 
and realized that they were just boys. There are times, of course, throughout the two weeks that I was held hostage that I despised them for some things, but um, truly they weren't the cause. And I could have been treated much worse. I could have been treated so much worse. I would say that the people that I don't forgive, if they actually are, if it is higher than, than just the people that I met, those are the ones that I don't forgive. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that really blows people away when they listen to your story, Julie, is your ability to work with exactly what you had. You were establishing authentic relationships. And that is something each and every one of our experts said to do. When we talked to them and talked to them about your story, they said it's, it's uh, making sure that you establish some sort of relationship. Did you know at the time that that was the thing that you should be doing? Yes. It's not so much that I thought of it re- super consciously as that I have to make this this relationship, otherwise I'm not going to be treated well or be safe. Um, When I saw the boys at the beginning, I did realize that I needed to establish that I was a mother and I was able to portray myself as a mother even towards them. And that shifted things immediately where I was given some sort of respect. I don't really think that People would understand that if they weren't there, that how can someone be kidnapping you, taking away your freedom and still respect you? And I think it's the culture. Um, I also think that it was the time that we shared three solid days together, just the three of us inside that uh, under construction house. And I think that one of the most important things in relationships is to treat each other exactly how we want to be treated. So it's, again, that golden rule. And to remember that I'm not above you, you're not above me. We all have the same wants, desires. We all want to have a good life. There are a couple of things that you told me, Julie, when you talked about your kidnappers and you talked about Anne and Anthony. Uh, You talked about Anthony having dreams of going back to school to get his education. And they shared that with you. Can you tell me a little bit about that? That was within the first couple of days when we were at the outside, sitting outside, just sitting on the dirt. I said, why are you doing this? And he said, I really wanna go back to school. I think he had about, he had wanted to go back and I think it was about grade eight that he had been going back to. His parents didn't have any money to continue his education, and that was his goal. It was the same with Oyo. I knew that he only had the shirt that he had on his back. There was actually a point in time, Julie, where Oyo cried with you. Sometimes that one still brings tears to my eyes. What happened? We were alone. We were in the... um, in the, in the unfinished house. And Anthony had left, so it was just Oyo and I. Anthony had left and he was supposed to come back. I think he went to get some um, cards for his cell phone. 
And as the night progressed, it was evident that Anthony wasn't coming back. And I heard Oyo crying in this room. And he was banging his head against the wall, just banging, 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 said, I am so stupid. I am so stupid. I am worth nothing. Um, and he felt that, that Anthony had left him and that everyone had left him because they didn't trust him. And he just went over and over again, just banging his head, banging his head, crying, crying. So I knew that Oyo was quite a strong Christian. He had a rosary around his neck and he prayed whenever he took uh, anything to eat. And even oftentimes he would thank God, even when he took a drink of water. So I started singing, Jesus loves me to him. There we were sitting in the dark and he stopped crying and he started singing along with me. So we sang, Jesus loves me. And then we sang amazing grace. And then he settled down and I told him that he was worth something, that they wouldn't just leave him. And he went to sleep on the ground and I moved to my little area. And in the middle of the night, Anthony came back and he, hmm, he came back with this huge, uh, big winter coat and put it over top of me while I was sleeping. Those are some of the reasons why I feel the connection to the boys. So Julie, since the last time that we spoke, so much has happened. We've had researchers in both Canada and Nigeria looking for answers all through the pandemic. And to be honest, it has been difficult uncovering anything about your kidnappers, but we do have some answers for you. Are you ready, Julie? I think so. Okay. So first, we spoke with a Kaduna newspaper reporter named Mika Mama. And Amika followed your case and wrote about it in the months after your rescue. Amika reported that seven suspects were arrested by the end of April 2009. Does that surprise you? A little, a little. I knew that there were three people rescued by the end of April. April 2009, seven suspects arrested. Wow. Mm, same day. Yeah. We also tracked down... Uh, the prosecutor in Nigeria that represented you in court, and he was able to provide some more details for us. First, uh, it was confirmed that Christian Aguzo was charged after you identified him. He went to trial, he was found guilty of kidnapping, and he spent two years in prison for the crime. Mm. Christian is now out of jail but there was no further information that we could find on him. Nothing at all, Julie. That's too bad. Also charged were Obina Uzuchuku and his wife Uzoma. So this is the man and woman uh, that you will recall that you saw at the police station, but you didn't know or recognize. They owned the second house you spent most of your time in during the abduction. They each served two years in prison. Mm. Then there is Loveday Naku Chinadu. Does that name sound familiar to you, Julie? No. Loveday is the driver you remember from the night 
of the abduction. Police picked him up after a tip-off. That's how they found him. During the trial, reporter Ishmael Mudashir reported that Alhaji Ibrahim Lakita Mashi, the head of the Nigerian Secret Service at the time, stated in the courtroom that Loveday, the driver that you remember, Julie, was actually the leader of the gang. In fact, he bankrolled the entire operation. Wow. So Loveday was convicted of kidnapping, conspiracy, and abduction. And he was sent to prison for two years. Mm. Then there are the three younger kidnappers, the ones, Julie, you spent the most time with, Anthony, Oeo, and Anne. There are still three unnamed suspects that were arrested in late April, but the names Anthony, Oeo, and Anne were never found on any document, Julie, that we uncovered, not one. So all we can confirm, three unnamed suspects were released. And that is everyone who has been charged with regards to your abduction. How are you feeling hearing that information? I'm surprised that the driver was the one who bankrolled it all. And I don't even know if I met him or not, just because, you know, I have no face to actually put with that. So if I had a face, then I would be able to see if I had, if he had come into the house, because there were a few different people who'd come into the house while I was there. And I am relieved to find out that Anthony, Oyo, and Anne, that they were, possibly they were the ones who were apprehended, but that they didn't go to jail. And because they are so young, I'm hoping that this taught them a lesson and that they've changed their path. Let me ask you something, Julie. Have you ever in these years tried to reach out on social media to any of these people? No. There have been times where there's been people from Africa, not specifically Nigeria, but who knows where they would really be from that have reached out and wanted to friend me. And I've always wondered sometimes maybe if they're following me, you know, just wondering what happened to me if it's on the flip side. Mm -hmm. And I don't really know what I would do if one of them contacted me. It's not like it would be a joyful reunion for sure, but I don't know. And that's completely understandable. I, I want to go back to that last night one more time and, and ask you, Julie, what it felt like when Oyo said, Auntie, don't follow. How it felt standing there, Julie, by yourself. It was terrifying to be standing on that road by myself because in this heightened sense of reliance that I had on the boys, they were something that was constant throughout the, the whole two to two weeks. When they left me, I felt totally abandoned and I didn't know where I was or why I was standing there. It was, like I said, it was just as hard as it was when I was thrown into the car. Let's talk about the Nigerian female officer who found you. So what we do know is that the female SS police 
uh, officer was also the woman on the phone acting like that concerned church lady. But here's another thing that we found out, Julie. She won an award for her actions and she is still active. She's still an officer. We uh, tried to track her down and we will continue to try tracking her down even after this because we haven't been able to contact her as yet, but we do know that she won an award for her part in all of this. How does that make you feel? It's amazing. I'm so happy. When she first came to me, she was just all of a sudden, she was there and she was in this black outfit. I could just make her out, but I was so scared because I had heard that the police were very corrupt in certain areas. And I had heard that from my kidnappers, by the way. I pushed her away really hard. And as I pushed her away, I could see the traditional leader coming up towards me with another police officer. And she stuck with me, beside me, when we went to that tiny little police station. And she walked in holding me, my arm. And that's when I used someone's cell phone that was standing there, just a random person's cell phone, to call John to let him know that I was okay. And then we left there and we went to a second police station that was a little bit larger. She was there with me for a while. And when we left, she couldn't come with us. So I've always wondered. I had heard from the Secret Service chief that she was the person that I had been talking to, was the, or the um, Secret Service. But I'm thrilled for her award. Absolutely thrilled. So after all this time, Julie, how does it feel knowing some of the blanks have been filled in? It feels more complete, you know, more like it's like it's this end of the chapter where the last few pages are filled in. And so I'm not wondering so much as like what what has happened, what's happened to the people who changed my life, really. So I feel I feel satisfied with that. I feel satisfied to know that justice was served to a lot of people. Um, I'm happy that I, I, I hesitate because happy is probably not the right word, um, but I'm okay with the fact that OAO, Anthony and Anne, if that was their names, that they didn't go to prison. And I'm definitely happy to hear about the award for the policewoman. Part of what we mentioned in the first episode is that you were one of the first kidnapped victims in the region. But since then, even with all the new laws in place, Northern Nigeria has become synonymous with abduction. You have shown such great compassion, such great understanding. But what are your thoughts on how the country has handled and is handling this issue some 11 years later? The night that we were driving back from the Rotary meeting and I was kidnapped. Just before we pulled up to the gate, I said, I feel like there has to be a revolt in this country because there's so much oppression. There has to be a revolt to bring change. And this idea of kidnapping, especially with the Boko Haram kidnappers, that is beyond anything that I experienced. 
that has got to stop for sure. Um, it must be terrifying for parents to send their kids to school, their girls to school, even in that area. The city, the state is in a, or the country is in a state of sad affairs right now. Mm-hmm. How do you think Canada did? Uh, I am so thankful to the Canadian government. Their involvement in my case was exceptional. And I had no idea how many people were actually working on my case while I was there. I'm eternally grateful to the Canadian government in response to my kidnapping. They were working behind the scenes from the moment they got the call. There were RCMP members, Canadian government officials working in Ottawa and also in Nigeria. I think that a kidnapping case is a touchy subject for a country to protect its citizens or to rescue the citizen who has been kidnapped because money can't be given, ransom can't be given from a country to another, to, to, to a kidnapper, because then it would just perpetuate and just keep growing and growing and growing. But the way that the Canadian government worked with the Secret Service and the Nigerian police, the three came together to find a solution. We've not talked about Trayton Valley a lot, Julie. We didn't get a chance to include the many, many voices that supported you, but it really was a community effort back home. Can you tell me what that meant to you to have so much support from your hometown? I wrote a thank you to the people in Drayton Valley, and I'd like to read some of it to you. It's been a month since my ordeal in Nigeria ended. The kidnapping of anyone is a relatively uncommon event. It happens only to people we see on TV, maybe involving big oil company workers or government diplomats. The fact that it happened to someone in our small town was hard to comprehend for all of us. The outpouring of love and support has been humbling, exhilarating, strengthening, and a mass of other words. In fact, I don't think that words can describe the depth of emotion to know that so many people were praying for us and keeping us strong. By your messages, thoughts, and prayers while I was in captivity, you were able to keep John and our families going. Since I've returned home, the positive thoughts and expression of feelings has continued. Thank you so much. Special thanks to the group of family and friends who were allowed in our house while it was under security shutdown. They had to live the unbelievable stress on a daily basis for 14 days. Please know that every thought, every prayer, every phone call made a difference. Don't ever think that great things can't be accomplished by small acts of love and kindness. If you care about someone, don't wait to tell them. Let them know now. You just never know what might happen. And truly, the people in Drayton Valley, the community, they really pulled together. That's the motto of the town, is pulling together. And it's not just for my circumstance, like my kidnapping for things like forest fire, like a forest fire that recently happened, um, the ban- banning together to help through the struggling economy with the oil price fluctuations. People stand together 
in that community. And I'm really proud to have been born in Drayton Valley and to have lived there for so long. So once again, thank you. It's been 11 years since your kidnapping. So how are you doing? Because I'm sure it's been a journey of working through trauma, um, working through issues. How are you doing, Julie? How's your family doing? I would say, talking about myself first, that I'm doing pretty good. Like I, I sometimes think that I don't have any lasting effects, but recently my son and, and uh, husband John were riding our bikes in Kelowna and we came across an accident that just happened with a motorcycle. Motorcycle and the driver were lying on the ground and that brings such an in- intense feeling inside of me. It's an automatic automatic sobbing. Um, and it's something that is a, is a result from the kidnapping where my compassion level has increased dramatically. So whenever I feel, when I saw that particular scene, I, it was almost like I had been in the accident in this weird way of this, of the frightened fear. And finally, when I got myself back together, we got back on our bikes and we started riding down the road, the ambulance came past. And when the ambulance came past all over again, it started on, I was riding my bike, couldn't even see through the tears. There's just something about that sense of fear, that deep, deep fear that I know that someone would be feeling that pushes me over the edge every single time. And your family? How's your family doing? My family's doing great. My family, um, with, you know, with the kidnapping, I, I sometimes still worry about Stephanie and Mackenzie because they were younger when that happened. Um, but we talk about it and we talk through it, even though it was 11 years ago. Little things that I'll bring up. And sometimes it's a, it's a funny thing that happened during those two weeks. And we'll, I'll just voice it and talk about it. And I think that that's the key to the whole thing is like, this actually did happen. It happened to us. And so we can't ignore that it happened, but it shaped us and it's not all in a bad way. We, I feel that, that as a family, we grew stronger for sure. Mm-hmm. So resiliency is the word that really describes you, Julie, resilient. And it's such a strong message from your story. Did you even know you had it? Did you even know you were capable? I don't think that you understand what you're capable of doing until you're doing it. And one thing that has been said to me over and over again by people is you were so brave. You were so brave. I wouldn't have thought of the things that you thought of. It's like, maybe, maybe you would have. We don't know what we're capable of until we're, until the situation is right in front of us. When you're living the situation, you're just, going through the motions of survival, it's not until afterwards that you can see how far you actually came through it. So did I know I was capable? No, but I knew that I, I was going to do everything that I possibly could to stay alive. And you did, because I'm just thinking about different things that happened to you. I mean, night one, you're beat up by, you know, with a machine gun. 
And then later the same night walking toward this ditch that you thought for sure uh, was your grave. And then Oyo in the backyard saying he will shoot the police. And, and then thinking, you know, during your last night that you were being led to your death. I mean, so many times uh, you persevered, you were resilient, and, and you made it through. What else was I going to do? Like, <laughs> like, really, like, what else could I have done but made it through? Definitely. Uh, the time to not lay down and feel sorry for myself was then. Like I said, it's like, who knows what your, where your brain's going to go until it's actually happening. And, you know, they say that there is um, almost a connection between resiliency and the ability uh, to forgive. And, and I have to say that reminds me of, sto- of a story that uh, many folks in Drayton Valley told me about your homecoming. Can you tell me what happened when it was time for the Nigerian Rotary team to come to Canada? particularly uh, with one Nigerian woman, what she thought might happen to her coming to Canada. The Nigerian group was supposed to be in Drayton Valley the same time that, or just after we were in Nigeria. And then once the kidnapping happened and everything was put on hold, the district left it up to me whether I wanted their exchange to go on. And of course I did. The group study exchange has so much to offer. And it's such an amazing experience. Even the only one week that my team and I experienced, I wanted them to have the experience and it wasn't their fault. I also wanted the community to understand that all Nigerians weren't the bad guys. So they came to Drayton Valley and it was July 1st, Canada Day, and our town was having a big celebration and their car rolled up. And Leonard, the leader of the group, he got out of the car. Everyone else got out of the car. And Grace took forever to get out. Finally, she gets out of the car and she's just shaking. And she said, I thought that we would be shot as soon as we came out. As soon as we got here, I thought we might get shot. And I'm so was so proud of the community, the way that they welcomed them with open arms. If there's one thing, Julie, that you would want listeners to take away from your journey, from your experience, what would that be? I think it would be that the experience that I had was no fault of my own whatsoever. It was also not the fault of the people in Nigeria. It was the fault of a few out of millions and millions. So not to paint a society with one brush, to understand that there's good always and that the good absolutely outweighs the bad. Also like people to know that whenever there's an outpouring or an outreach of love, kindness, that it truly does impact the lives of the people who are on the recipient side. Julie, I have to tell you uh, that your story has stuck with me for more than a decade now. I covered it as a reporter and here we are, you know, here now. And given the world that we live in, it's a story that I think is so important, so very important 
to bring to the world right now, your ability to hope instead of hate are an inspiration, my friend. They're an inspiration to everyone to show love and kindness at the worst of times. It's touched me and I know uh, that it's touching everyone who has listened, everyone. You remind us all of the inner strength that really is innate in all of us. Thank you so, so very much for opening up and sharing with me, even when it was hard. Thank you. And thank you to your family, Julie. Thank you, Mercy. You take good care, okay? You too. Okay. Bye, Julie. Bye. Taken Abroad is written and produced by Charlie Smith. Sound production by Elizabeth Kay. Kelly Peckham is our field director. Visual researchers are Elise Forster and Blake Glassbergen. Original theme music by Nick Fowler. And the executive producer is Kelly McEwen. 